fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 42, and I'm going to get this right out of the way off the bat. I had like three different discussion topics for this week because I just could not pinpoint one. But then I finally settled on one and I was like, you know what? I think this is going to be a good one. I like this discussion topic. So uh, with the whole Mulan thing, I was like, let's do our favorite Disney characters. Nah, that's going to be a little too difficult. Uh, underrated movies? Uh, doesn't really fit with anything this week. So I just went with an easy one, but a nonetheless fascinating topic that I don't know if Josh and I have ever really discussed at length. Our favorite movie characters. Now, these can be anything that has been theatrically released, live action, animated, heroes, villains, supporting characters. Doesn't matter. They're all fair games so long as it's a theatrically released movie. No TV will be included this week. That may be a discussion for a later date. But, um, yeah. Josh, how are you doing tonight? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty good today, man. I'm, uh, snacking on a, a little, uh, little Slim Chicken's dessert over here for those people down here in the South. Um, and I think that, yeah, man. that'll take care of our sponsor for the week. Yeah, absolutely. Let's knock them out right now. Slim Chicken's, man. All righty. Um, well, there's more rumors and speculation, I feel like, this week than um, previous weeks. So let's acknowledge that. It's kind of been a slow official news week. I think we're just kind of, it's the quiet before the storm that is Comic-Con news. But there's still no, some big news nonetheless. So Mulan was going to be our big news off the top until a couple hours ago when a big bombshell dropped about uh, HBO Max, the Warner Brothers streaming service. So, there is a lot, and I mean a lot, to unpack about this whole uh, information that came out today. And on the surface, it's just like, okay, it's just another streaming service. I think, though, the Warner Brothers wants some of that Disney money and is coming to play right off the bat. I can, I can kind of see that they're trying to be in typical Warner fashion, trying to be a, a decent competition. However, their fault right now, and you and I can can kind of talk about this, is that they're pitching it for fifteen dollars a month as a, as opposed to Disney's. What was it? Seven? Uh, yeah, eight bucks a month. It's like seven ninety nine. However, I will. So we we'll go into more detail in a second here. I actually think that $15 in and of itself, that's a great value considering what we're getting. So, put it into context. Uh, HBO, right now, as it stands, is 15 bucks a month. With HBO Max, that's including HBO, so more or less already covers the price that you would pay for HBO, which a lot of people already have. Either that or you steal somebody's password to watch Game of Thrones or you <laughs> find other means, whatever that may be. Um, but like we said, it's 15 bucks a month. It'll be coming spring 2020. This does not affect Josh in any way, but it nope. affects millions of others. It will be the exclusive one and only home of Friends. Remember how we talked a few months ago about how Netflix paid millions and upon millions of dollars to keep Friends? Well... Bye. So Netflix is now losing both Friends and The Office. Oops. I so <laughs> like like I said, it doesn't affect Josh. Now here's where I'm saying it's a great deal 
that I hadn't even realized yet. So I was doing some research. I do that every once in a while. Um, so here's everything that comes included on this service. Uh, I'm reading it off of an article online. That's all. Um, that's fairly steep. Deep. Uh, that's fairly steep considering the cost of other services. But in this case, you do get some considerably great content. That content includes programming from HBO, which we already talked about, is 15 bucks already. Uh, Warner Brothers, New Line, DC Entertainment, CNN, TNT, TBS, True TV, The CW, Turner Classic Movies, Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, Crunchyroll, Rooster Teeth, and Looney Tunes. Jeez, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so also, as well as having friends, they all have the sole ownership of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So a good show. Yeah. And then show. some interesting new original stuff. Remember how last week we talked about J.J. Abrams uh, striking up a deal with Warner Brothers? Apparently, he and Jordan Peele are going to be doing a show together. Wow. immediately gets my interest. Um, yeah. I'm curious about this one. DC showrunner Greg Berlanti is directing four new young adult movies, which I can almost guarantee they will be DC-related to some extent. Yeah. Which... <laughs> If he can bring back, like, season one and season two magic of literally any of his shows, then they could be good movies, depending. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe, you know, maybe that's what the, what he, he needs to have be doing in the first place anyway. Because TVs are, uh, sorry, TV is definitely harder to write in a sense of it definitely has to be more drawn out. You can't just get straight to the point. Exactly. And... I thought he had been taking more of a lesser role in the TV stuff over the past few years. Maybe this is why. Um, I'm looking yeah. at all the stuff that it's going to include, like the Warner Brothers, the DC, Cartoon Network, Looney Tunes, uh, Adult Swim. This kind of makes me think that it's going to absorb other streaming services into one. We've talked yeah. about before of DC Universe could easily be uh, swallowed up into this, make DC Universe not a thing anymore, which... I'm okay with the service living on into this app so long as we still get our comics. I've really been binging that hard the past few weeks, and it's great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been reading uh, Dark uh, Victory, the sequel to Long Halloween. Fantastic. Um, but also, I hadn't thought about this until now with the whole Cartoon Network thing. Boomerang is also a monthly subscription service that can absolutely see all the Boomerang content being on this platform as well, which, as an old-school cartoon person like a Scooby-Doo fan, I'd love to get all the old school uh, pup, well, maybe not a pup named Scooby-Doo, but what's new Scooby-Doo? Uh, Scooby-Doo, where are you? All the classic uh, like 90s and 2000s Scooby-Doo movies, yeah. um, which well, are not, hard to find in one that, location. Though. Not just that, because, so let's let's say, you know, let's go, uh, let's have them say, okay, we're giving you everything from Cartoon Network, right? So that means everything from Adult Swim ever. I mean, I would assume, let's just make that assumption, right? Everything Samurai from Jack. Adult Swim ever, all the way back to, uh, I don't know, um, oh, Ghost, oh, what is his name? I'm just Space Ghost. Him. Space Ghost, Coast to Coast. Um, that, that show, He-Man, all of Boomerang, all of Toonami, that's all under the banner of, of Cartoon Network. And like, They've said how- their goal is to launch with 10,000 hours of content. E and like that's like easily a thousand hours right there. Oh yeah. And so um also when I saw a certain TV station 
Um, I didn't have my movie brain on. I actually had my wrestling brain on of if they're working with TNT, mm-hmm. how does this factor in to the upstart wrestling company, AEW, which will be premiering on TNT this fall? I would assume that means that people can actually catch the episodes if they don't catch them live. Yeah, like WWE has um, a, like an agreement with Hulu of like Raw has an abridged two-hour version that uh, it shows up on Hulu the next night. Kind of the same thing with SmackDown. I could see AEW combating that and be like, all right, we have our uh, previous episodes on this HBO uh, Max, which is a great counterpoint to WWE. Oh, absolutely. And I, I could totally, being at HBO, they could also do uh, funnel all of the pay-per-views through there, too. Ooh, I hadn't thought about that. Mm-hmm. That way you have everything, you know, you can, they can, people can rewatch it. But didn't they sign um, like some deal with like ITV or something? I think they have a pay-per-view. Well, okay. So here's the thing that the, the weird thing that's been going on with uh, just a little side note for AEW stuff from what I've noticed. Um, so all, you know, double or nothing was, uh, it was pay-per-view, but it was, uh, on fight TV, I believe on yes. the app, right? Yeah. And people had to pay per view. Well, um, from what I heard, Fighter, Fighter Fest or whatever it was called. Was free, yeah. Um, yeah, it was free on Bleacher Report. Yes. So I'm not I'm not sure that they have any specific deal, like an overarching deal as far as pay-per-views yet. I'm not sure. My thing is, so, if AEW can uh, latch onto the streaming service, and if it's user-friendly... They already have a massive leg up in, with WWE, as you and I have complained numerous times that of all the streaming services that I have, WWE's has one of the worst interfaces I've ever seen in a streaming platform. It's horrendous. Oh, it is. It's so hard to find anything you want to watch, specific matches, search anything. It's just awful. Uh huh. And not only that, and like I even, it's one of the only apps that I have outside of Netflix. And I think you can pay for it on Hulu, but I'm not, I'm not 100% on that. But the ability to download something and watch it offline. Which is something I kind of want DC Universe to be enveloped into this uh, HBO Max. Because, yes, I can download comics and TV shows offline. But for some reason, yeah. I can't download movies, which I've always complained. And I thought that was super weird. Well, yeah, because even like the TV shows, you don't download them and they get to keep them forever like you as soon as you watch yeah, you them, get them for like, like 48 hours but also yeah. with this uh hbo max i would get all the dc movies like dc universe still kind of is like yes we have all these movies yes you do but you're missing the dark knight trilogy you're missing justice league you're missing wonder woman aquaman any of the newer stuff which i would expect yeah. dc universe to have but if they're including all the warner brothers stuff then, yeah, it's going to be there. I'm also curious, uh, Mortal Brothers teams up with Legendary a lot. Will this be? Will Legendary be on there too? Will we get Pacific Rim? Will we get Godzilla? I mean, I, would, I wouldn't I would be surprised. I See, that's... Ooh, that's also... And, plus, um, it's under the, the banner of HBO, and HBO gets movies like that all the time. With New Line being in this as well. You know, New Line's big claim to fame, right? Not off the top of my head. Lord of the Rings. 
Ooh. So Amazon may be doing the TV show, but HBO Max may have the rights to the trilogy as well as The Hobbit, which was Warner Brothers. Hmm. Interesting. Well, all this to say, this on the surface doesn't look like a, a very big answer to Disney. But honestly, in terms of content, it might be price. It still goes to Disney for now. But in terms for, of content, now, yes, they're being competitive. It, yeah, more so are. than Netflix and will be. I, it, that's the thing is both just both of these services alone. I would totally shell out a little bit more just to have both of these in comparison to having Netflix these days. Yeah, which is getting more and more shallow in its content as I'm finishing up season three of Stranger Things. Yeah, it, well, but that's the thing is it, it, it's Stranger Things. Stranger Things, like their original content is actually pretty good, but they, they seem to have decided to not have as much depth in their their. Well, it's more or less content. they're massively in debt. So I mean, I mean, well, there's that too. Which is going to hurt them in the long haul. I think more than anything, this, the signs are, it's like, we always go to comic books, but this is like the end credits to an Avengers movie before Infinity War Endgame. This is the tease to an upcoming battle that's going to be on the horizon of the streaming wars. Yeah, I would agree. People are taking their sides. Like studios are starting to build their armies. Disney's got theirs. Warner Brothers has theirs. And it's yeah. just going to be very interesting to see what's going to reign supreme out well, there. It, even like if that's the case, right? So 15, what's 15 plus eight? 23. It's like 20, 23, 23 bucks for 23 bucks a month. It, you could easily have like almost 90% of all media that's ever been made. To me, this just further spells the death of cable. Exactly. I mean, cable physical and, media. Yeah. But I mean, if that's the case, why would I buy any, any kind of DVDs if I can have that kind of access? Yeah. People say that, but as a physical copy person till they yeah. physically pry it out of my hands, I will still buy it because I'll still have people going, well, I can't find this. Well, that sucks for you. I bought it on Blu-ray and I can watch it whenever. Well, and I have yeah, the exactly. copy because there's always it. that. There is always that. And like we used to be able to say that about Netflix. Like, oh, I can just watch it on Netflix, but now it's gone. Now where in this case, the assumption would be that this kind of – any content that Disney or Warner, you know, whatever falls under those banners comes out with would be on those services forever. That would be the assumption. So, I mean, I can see where physical copies would be not necessarily – not needed, but definitely more of a novelty than anything else. Yes. Well, I feel like we've covered this in enough exhaustive detail. So let's cover some other big news. Like we said, if it wasn't for this HBO Max story, this would have been our top story to cover as our opening. Uh, the Mulan trailer has lit up Ooh. the internet. After a long while, I was beginning to wonder if we were ever going to get this trailer because I feel like I've been waiting for this movie for so long. The trailer finally comes out. Uh, Josh, what did you think of the Mulan trailer? I was ecstatic. I'm super down. First of all, we all know I'm a super big Kung Fu, me- Kung Fu movie guy. And, and you this... love using Jet Li. Yo, dude. Even though he's not and in this... the trailer, he's in the movie. Yeah, yeah. But like this movie 
scratched that itch. Um, there's a scene where she pops up from behind like a mountain or something. And she's got her, her hair like down and it's all wild. And she's got like that bow and arrow. And I was like, Oh, Oh, we're in for a trip. Here we go. I'm so ready. Yeah. This movie more than any other of the Disney live action remakes felt epic. It felt huge in scale. I, it was incredible to watch. Well, and I think something that, and is I don't I don't think it's intentionally done that's lost in the original animated one is the stakes and the why it's such a big deal that a woman is in is in the military at that time and honestly like I kind of feel that in this trailer just a little bit of like this is I feel like this is the first time this is being done now as someone who has watched a ton of Kung Fu movies. Like this isn't the first time a woman has been in a, in a, in a Kung Fu movie. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is what I got the most vibe from, from this movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. But like, this isn't the first time that that's happened, but just the vibe that you get from the trailer definitely makes you feel like this is the first time you've seen something like this. You know what I mean? Like it felt, it felt different. And I think what, that kind of was, at least for me, was a lot of the Disney remakes kind of feel like this catered specifically to an American audience type of vibe mm-hmm. of like kind of changing the story a little bit to almost like Europeanize it. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of felt that in a sense to Aladdin. This one absolutely has more of a foreign film vibe as a Mulan should. And I'm glad that they're like fully embracing. Yes. We're not hiding it. We're going for the Chinese market, but in the best way. Like, this doesn't... It feels like Mulan, but it doesn't. And I love just how epic in scale it is. Um, It just looks great. They're doing doing exactly what you and I said they should. Is that they don't have any, any of the songs, which is totally fine. But they're using the instrumentals. Oh, man. And when the, um... It's the beginning of the uh, who's that uh, who's reflections? That yeah, reflections. Sorry, it's it's in that trailer, and then just coupled with the the speech of the matchmaker, and seeing her like mirror. Yes, I want to be that woman, but I also have this spirit within me that is going to be so much bigger than myself. Like, just oh man, I'm just. I got super hyped for this movie so quick. Like, the music got me in, but the shots that really I was just like, oh, I'm locked in now, is just that opening sh- of, just not the opening shot, but that shot of, as soon as we start showing her in the camp, and everyone training for war, I'm like, yes. oh, this is, this is huge in scale. The only thing that I have a small gripe about, and so far, it might just be me saying this, um, the whole cast looks phenomenal. The girl playing Mulan, at least from the trailers, seemed a bit stiff. Fair. Like um, a little uncomfortable in the role. But that could just be me seeing it in the trailer. She could be great in the movie. Everyone else kind of seemed a little more relaxed and in their role and just knew how to act. This actress, she seemed a little bit wooden. But that could just be the trailer. Yeah, and to be to her credit, like I don't know, I I I feel 
I'm trying to remember the last time I saw her, and I'm pretty sure it was in the trailer for what was that movie with Ewan? It was Ewan. No, it was uh, Matt Damon. Was it The Great Wall? Oh, she was in that. I think that's her. I'm not certain. Less we say about that movie, the better. Yeah. So obviously with that kind of on it, I'm not sure if that really gives her any credit or or not, but regardless, she can pull off the physicality of the role. And I think everything that I saw in the trailer was exactly what I need. I needed to see. And it was exactly what I needed to know what, what, what to and expected to see. I think the thing that is different about this film so far is and to your credit, I agree. The thing about the other films was it felt catered. It felt like a shot for shot remake, not like something they were like, Hey, let's remake this and do, do stuff with live action that we couldn't necessarily do. Um, uh, and through animation. And that's what this feels like. This feels like, Hey, we've got a great story here. And there was stuff we couldn't really convey in a musical form in, in, you know, that was Mo- the animated Mulan. Yeah. It, yeah. Like you said, it feels like the more or less kind of the basic story of the original, but in a new way to tell it, it's not trying to copy the original. It, feels like they they didn't care so much about remaking the original. They were just like, okay, we've got this great story to tell instead of let's just get money off the original. It seems like this is, we've got a great story to tell here and we've got a fresh new way to do it. Yeah, exactly. And just everything, everything felt fresh and felt new and felt awesome and, and epic. Just- Epic in scale. If rumors yes. are to be believed to be true, this is Disney's most expensive movie ever. So it's got to pay off for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think if what we see in the trailer comes to light, I, I think they've got a they've got a great hit on their hands. Oh, absolutely. Um, one that I really hope is going to be a hit, but it's too early to tell. Honestly, is uh, James Wan's Mortal Kombat movie. So, video game movies, as we know, as we covered in our very first ever Uncharted Media podcast episode, video game movies have a bit of a history. Um, But now, James Wan is doing a Mortal Kombat movie. That just seems like a match made in heaven to me. Um, Adding to the just realness of the movie, we have our first casting choice. And Josh, uh, I'm going to diverge to your lead on this one because I'm not super familiar with this actor. I'm more familiar with the movie that he's known for. Uh, Joe Taslim, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Uh, Most known, most well known for his role in The Raid. So he, Joe kind of runs with that crew. uh, The guys that made The Raid and all the actors involved in The Raid uh, kind of all do the same movies with each other. Conja Club. Uh, well, yeah, basically, because it's it is Indonesia, it is Thailand. It's those those countries have very very few actors over there who are available to work um, without bringing that they can afford without bringing in you know American actors and blah 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 blah. But 
So he's part of that, that crew that has been very instrumental in bringing film and art out, out from the, that area of the world. Um, and I think watching the raid, um, I don't see why he wouldn't be, I don't see why most of those actors wouldn't be in a, <laughs> in a Mortal Kombat movie. Even as someone that hasn't seen the raid yet, it's like top of my priority list of I need to see it at some point. And this just makes it even higher. Um, the raid is really, really well known for its stunt choreography and its hand-to-hand combat. It's one of the best hand-to-hand combat movies in recent memory in terms of just showing you the action. The guy's actually going mm-hmm. at it. Good camera work so you can s- properly see the action and the dedication and time that's put into the moves. Having someone from the raid in a fighting movie with Mortal Kombat, this just spells great news to me, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. To me, that's a, that says we are dedicated to making a believable Mortal Kombat movie, not really? something Really? Su- believable Mortal Kombat. I, I know, I know. But, okay, so there was... I'm trying to think... I don't know if I just had a middle school hallucination or Maybe. what, but I never I didn't do drugs for a long, long, long time. But uh, in middle school, I vaguely remember them doing a a tournament style TV show that aired like two hour episodes or whatever through every Saturday for like a month or something like that, uh, based on Mortal Kombat. And it was like had all the characters come in and it was very, very cool, like fight choreographed and stuff like that. But it was really cool. But they did it in, in like a pro- professional wrestling kind of sense of that. It was felt very believable and very story driven. Um, you say pro wrestling and very believable in that. I'm, I think you know what I'm trying to say. I honestly have no idea what you're talking about, dude. And I thought I knew the Mortal Kombat series pretty well. It was, like I said, dude, I I mean, for a while there, I thought I hallucinated uh, Buzz Lightyear's Star Command because... No. I know, exactly. But like, you were the, I didn't know anybody who else anybody else had seen it until I met you. So I was like, wow, okay, I don't... You know I, I'm the king of obscure movies and TV, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm aware, I'm aware. But like, there was... I have never seen anything about it or anything since. So I don't know where it came from. However, I can being the point remains. If them bringing Joe in tells me that they're taking this as seriously as you can take a Mortal Kombat movie. Yes. It means they're focusing on one, getting talent, but two, Guys that know how to fight in movies. And that is exactly what you need in a Mortal Kombat movie. That and great fatalities. Well, I mean, that too. But, I mean, if you watch The Raid, that's exactly what... I mean, you could take some of the scenes from The Raid as as fatalities. And honestly, I'm thinking of a couple scenes that I know would make you cringe and scream. Oh, there's knee issues? Oh, dude. Now, oh, so with raid actors, you know who they also need to cast in Mortal Kombat? Who? Keanu. <laughs> as Raiden. No, you stop that right now. You stop that. Because Donnie Yen needs to be <laughs> Raiden. <laughs> Maybe. 
No, he can be um, Shang-Chi. No, not Shang-Chi. Um, what's his face? The main antagonist. Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. But see, like, that's the thing is I feel, and honestly, they would be a miss if they didn't cast uh, Michael J. White. But like, this is going to be you mean the bring opportunity. him back? Well, he was in that short web series, but nobody saw it. So <laughs> it's true. It's always in the five buck bin at Walmart. Exactly. So, I mean, I would like it, but that's that's me. I think this is your opportunity to get these kind of guys that have been in this kind of that subgenre of action movie for so long to maybe put them in the forefront for once. Kind of like how Donnie Yen and Tony Jaw are starting to make it to the forefront of American cinema. Speaking of getting to the forefront, uh, indie filmmaker David Gordon Green has been on... Um, He's been making indie films for a while, but he had his real, well, breakout hit to the mass audiences last year with one of my favorite movies of last year, Halloween, uh, written by Danny McBride, which is still weird to me. Uh, But rumors are now coming out that David Gordon Green may be returning to not just Halloween 2, which technically in this timeline would be Halloween 3. It's super confusing. Uh, May not only be returning for Halloween 2, but maybe returning to Halloween 3, and that they're filming back-to-back, Lord of the Rings style, and both of them are coming out next October. Okay, two out of the three of these things, I believe. One of them, I don't believe in any sense. Um, I didn't think David Gordon Green was actually going to come back to direct the next Halloween. I thought he was going to move on to other projects. That being said, I liked what he did with Halloween. I would very much like to see him come back. The Halloween franchise does not have a very good history of directors staying on. It's almost like, um, all right, I did one. Bye. Except yeah. for Rob Zombie, who did two. But look how those turned out. Um, I would like him to come back. I would also like Jamie Lee Curtis to come back. Because, spoiler alert, she may be in my discussion for later. Um, and I think it's smart to film these back-to-back. Um, they said throughout filming for the first Halloween... Well, the first David Gordon Green one, It's this timeline is all messed up, um, that they already had plans for a sequel and they didn't really know where to end the story for the 2018 Halloween because they knew the direction that they wanted to go for a sequel, but they didn't want to like openly tease a sequel because they didn't want to get ahead of themselves like so many other movie studios do and be like, all right, we're going to start planning the sequel uh, before the first one even comes out. This was like they naturally had the story all more or less as one long story, but they didn't want to get ahead of themselves. So I'm excited to see the potential like continuation of this story of not just one, uh, not just Halloween two, but three beyond that to me, that shows, all right, we have advanced planning. We know where we want this story to go. That being said, there's not a single chance that we're getting two Michael Myers, Halloween movies in the same month. Who uh, really? Who's reporting this? Yeah. But apparently a couple of sites have picked be, this up as like, this may be so, happening. No, that would be super weird. Like, I can absolutely see it being more like a what used to be the normal SAR paranormal activity of one October, we have a Halloween movie, and then the very next year, we have another Halloween. But um, I can see Halloween 2 maybe having a cliffhanger. Like, um, maybe, yeah. um, what is her name? Andy Matichek's character, Allison. Maybe like Allison kills Lori or something, as horrible as that sounds. 
And that's our cliffhanger for what happens, and that gets resolved in Halloween three. Yeah, I I, uh, I definitely back to back tells me okay, we've gotten the green light for sequels, so let's tell the full story of what we've been wanting to tell. Which would you want David Gordon Green to come back? And if so, what direction would you want the Halloween movies to take? Uh, I would absolutely love for him to come back. Oh, oh my. Excuse me, I apologize. Um, definitely would love for him to come back. I think he took Halloween in a fresh direction, and there was some really cool shots that I, I really appreciated, especially in a slasher film that don't get done a lot. Um, I talked a little bit about maybe having Michael go on a, a killing spree, of like, of a legitimate killing spree. May of him literally doing what that one scene that feels like it goes on forever in the original and then in the 2018 Halloween of him just going from house to house doing his thing and like that's that's what he does now like how terrifying is that too I think I pitched to that a couple of weeks ago too didn't I of of them doing a movie where he kind of does that and they just they can't catch him he just wins at the end. So, like, the original, basically. Yes, but not like... He doesn't have an objective. It's just an unstoppable force. Exactly. But I don't want... I don't want him to win in the sense of, ha-ha, you can't kill me. Like, I want him to win because he legit kills everybody that's that's trying to stop him. Hmm. You know what I mean? I'd be okay with that. Because that's that's what it feels like they do all the time is, ha, 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 you can't kill me. I know you just shot me with a full clip and I threw me off of a house into a, uh, an empty pool and then emptied a second clip into me. But ha, 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 you can't kill me because I'm actually kind of a demon, which, which doesn't make sense. With the um, now that I think about it, um, if we do get that Halloween 3, thinking long term with David Gordon Green, if we get Halloween 3, that will actually make it. Halloween 13. It'll be the 13th installment. So I could see them going big for that, of bring every character that might still be alive. So I'm talking um, their version of the kids from the first one. Uh, yeah, somehow, some way, maybe bring Danielle Harris, who's been very vocal about wanting to come back. Yeah. I, I can totally see that. Bring back Josh Hartnett. I, I, I see them going big. I see them... Maybe Lori lets Allison down in some way. I don't know. And that's what Alice Allison gets gets mad. And I don't there's just so much you could do now. That's what I think why I don't know where to go, because the way that they do kind of tie up the first one just in case um, kind of does also make the world their oyster at the same time. Mm. Now. A series that I actually hope doesn't go big, but instead goes smaller, and that seems to be what they might be going for, is Saw, actually. So, we talked about it a few weeks back, that Chris Rock is doing his own reboot, more or less, of the Saw franchise. Now it seems like we may have some casting as himself, Chris Rock, and Samuel L. Jackson are in the cast. Uh, Chris Rock... I think we more or less said from the get-go, okay, if he's doing a story, he's more than likely in the movie. But Samuel L. Jackson? Oh, I am so down for that. Oh, yeah. I think 
<laughs> I'm just picturing Samuel Jackson from Snakes in a Plane in a Saw movie. I don't think it would be I that comedic. But, oh, no, no, I'm aware. I, I, I agree, but I'm just picturing that I've in general. With I'm these just... reverse bear traps in a stupid <laughs> jigsaw game. Exactly. <laughs> I, I can see it be having those kinds of moments, but. I've had it with these stupid puppets. <laughs> I would pay just good like... money to see Samuel L. Jackson punt the ever living crap yeah. out of jigsaw. <laughs> I could just see him because that's one of his lines. Like, oh hell no, and just punting, punting him. But also, <laughs> what if? Now go with me here. What if Sam L. Jackson is Jigsaw this time around? Which would be an interesting, weird twist because it's a reboot. We don't really know what to expect of timeline characters. Uh, I'm going through the Saw series right now. It's one that I've never really watched before, but I loved the first one. It was great. So I don't really oh, know yeah. what to expect for the sequels. I just know to be disappointed. Um, but I know that this reboot, I'm sure, will go in different directions. If Chris Rock feels strong about the story that apparently he's been working on for a while, it's going to be new. It's going to be different, I think. I, I think so, too. And if anything, it'll bring a fresh perspective to... Uh, a series that has always kind of had the same ideas and the same beat for beat movies. Yeah, they've always cared more about the traps than the story. Well, I mean, but that's the thing is the the most recent one, Jigsaw, kind of committed itself a little bit more to the story. Yes, the traps were a big deal, and honestly, there was a lot of traps from the new one that I really enjoyed. But um, the story took precedence. Now. To its detriment, it did still follow the jigsaw, so the the saw story beat for beat. So it did have that going against it. So having somebody new and fresh behind the helm might throw in some curveballs for us. Some very welcomed curveballs at that. Oh, absolutely. Um, so a couple of comic book story news topics, and then we'll get into our main discussion. Um, we'll get the frustrating one out of the way because uh dc's idiocy strikes back shocker so christopher mcquarrie i really like this guy as a director he directed the two most recent mission impossibles with uh rogue nation and fallout the latter starring henry cavill as spoiler alert even though the trailers clearly gave it away henry cavill as the main villain um christopher uh mcquarrie is a huge henry cavill fan he loves working with him he had a great time with him on fallout so much so that he wanted to keep working with him for a man of steel too so christopher mcquarrie a great filmmaker a very competent and proven box office draw as a director with both of the mission impossible movies apparently pitched man of steel with henry cavill to warner brothers as well as a green lantern movie the green lantern movie apparently he had a full um, script and story pitch that he gave to Warner Brothers and then Man of Steel 2 was more of just an idea of what if this was the direction we go to and both ideas Warner Brothers shot him down on and now he kind of seems to have soured on directing any form of superhero movie Um, on a scale of 1 to 10 how frustrating is this to hear Josh? Um, so this is my perspective 
And maybe I'm trying to be positive about the direction that WB is trying to go because they, they seem to have had a couple hits here with Wonder Woman, Shazam and Aquaman, right? So they're doing something right. And it's something behind the creative mind has changed. Now, and to be fair, I this see- was, I believe this was during, if it wasn't during the regime change, it was like in the middle of that. So maybe he, this was during the old regime. Exactly. So with that thought in mind, uh, either A, before the regime, regime change, his ideas were not welcomed because they were too good, or B, what if what he pitched just wasn't good? I I think what he pitched was probably phenomenal, but I think Warner Brothers was still a little butthurt from a movie called Mission Impossible Fallout, which was responsible for the Justice League CGI. Yeah. I think which they're I still... Told, I can, you wouldn't let oh. us reshoot Henry Cavill. It's just like, I was totally fine with you guys letting him. It was the studio that wouldn't let you, not me. I think they may still yeah. be a little bit bitter about that. Which I can see, but see, the, the 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 point I'm trying to make, I guess, is I I almost feel like it's a, no, a non-story, um, but obviously there's ways it could totally be, go either way. To me, this uh, just confirms Man of Steel 2 is dead. Uh, see, I don't. I wouldn't go that far. I, I would say Man of Steel 2 with Henry Cavill, I think, is dead. See, I'm, I'm, I'm again trying to be the positive, positive Pete over here. Um, I think there, there's a part of them, especially given how Snyder, the whole Snyder thing went. I think they're trying to be a little bit more careful as as a as far as what content they put out there. I think if they do a Man of Steel 2, they're going to want to make it the best they can. I think the problem is Henry Cavill, through no fault of his own, is stuck in a bad situation of whether they want to admit it or not, DC is trying to wipe away everything Zack Snyder, which in all honesty is probably a good idea. Um, The only reason they haven't gotten rid of Wonder Woman or Aquaman is both those movies made a billion dollars. Superman has not been able to lay claim to that. Everyone universally almost beloved uh, is Henry Cavill as Superman. He's my all-time favorite Superman. But I don't think the studio cares because they're thinking, well, people don't care about this Superman. So maybe we wait a couple years and recast. And because we've already lost Ben Affleck as Batman, I guarantee you now we've lost Ezra Miller as The Flash, which I think is a good thing. Um, I think, um, what's his face, as Cyborg is done. I agree. Um, I think Aquaman and Wonder Woman are the only ones staying, and that's because their movies are so successful. I can see that. And, I mean, they've been successful, and I think the casting has been spot on for those as well. Not to say that Henry's not. I think Henry is the the quintessential this generation's Superman. Um, They then again, and again going to my wrestling brain, they could just be doing the thing that they do that wrestling companies do when they want to take some heat off of a guy. It's just not put him in the forefront for a while. But he's been out of the forefront for too long. You know that Man of Steel came out six years ago, right? 
I, I agree. But and by the time the we most... actually get it announced and it comes out, it'll be closer to 10 years in between movies. That's not a good look for anybody. I, I agree. However, the thought I'm having, too, is when's the last time we saw Superman? Justice League. Justice League. Which was a terrible movie. Okay, it wasn't terrible, but it was not a good showing. Yeah. There's still parts so, of it that I will vehemently defend as good. The movie as oh, a yeah. whole is not. But and I'm in the minority here. I think the version we got is better than the version Snyder would have given us. I guarantee it. Um, but my point being is that Man of Steel regardless of what you and I think is not what the people remember of, of Henry Cavill Superman right now. It's going to be his performance in, or lack of a performance or whatever you want to call it in justice league. I think his legacy will be great Superman saddled with bad movies. Unfortunately, I I hope it doesn't come to that because at this point, I don't know who, who I would even pick to be the next Superman. So, you know, I get, we'll have to wait. And we'll see. have a new Superman eventually, but yeah, I just don't know who it would be at this time. Yeah. Now, um, we talked last week about how Joker was making the rounds at the f- big film festivals later this year. Uh, director Todd Phillips has come out and said some interesting things that I may be in the minority, but I think this is exactly what we need to hear. So he's come out and said that his Joker movie has taken zero inspiration from the comics and is a completely new story of the origin of Joker. I'm going to say it. I think this is a fabulous idea and exactly the direction the story needed to go. Oh, absolutely. Cause, and people can gripe and complain all they want, but um, excuse me, what other content were you expecting him to use? The, yeah, uh, the something joke people stuff? always complain about. It's just like, how can, how can they not use the source material? Um, what source material? The Killing Joke. Uh, the Killing Joke, I hate to say it, isn't definitive canon. It is one possibility that is the Joker's origin. Absolutely. Joker, spoiler alert, even, has even, no definitive origin. Exactly. And even then, if you, even if you use the Killing Joke, it's never like confirmed that that was his origin. It it's very much could be just something he made up. Because it even even says it in the story. Yeah, this could be one of many. But also keep in mind, they've been very, very vocal. Now, we don't know. Josh and I have uh, reservations about this. But they've said from the get-go, this is an Elseworlds story. This is not the main timeline and continuity that we're familiar with. That being said, Josh and I still kind of think that it might be eventually tied into the Battenson Batman. The Battenson. But... (laughs) <laughs> They've been very open and honest that this is an Elseworlds story. This is not main timeline Joker. This can be whatever it wants to be. And the fact that it's a hard R, we're doing whatever we want, focusing more on a good story. Dude, they got Robert De Niro in this movie. He's not going to sign up for some uh, just half-efforted movie. He clearly sees something in this. Well, and I'm going to say the same about Walking Phoenix. Yeah, Walking he doesn't Phoenix just sign up a, for nothing. No, yeah, he is a weird dude, but yes. he always picks roles that he will shine in. Exactly. I think um, there's, I'm not going to say on the podcast here, 
if you want to know, Josh, we can always talk off mic. But there are certain details that are kind of being rumored right now on the internet of things that it would be massive spoilers for the movie or massive changes to not just Batman, but also Joker lore that if they did, I'm sure there'd be some fanboys out there that'd be pissed about it. So I feel like that's more of what Todd Phillips is getting out in front of now. To me, I don't care because as we've said, world story. You could have Batman be an old man who's actually a vampire that teams up with a 30-year-old donkey. And as long as it's an Elseworlds story, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. And I th- But here's the thing. Because they haven't used the word Elseworlds story since the beginning. This is And this is really the first time they've said, like, hey, this isn't going to be like what you see in the comics. Which, first of all, thank you for that. Because that was one of the things with Leto's Joker. They're like, no, 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 he's from the comics. Blah, blah, blah. Like, no. Nah. He's like, what no, comics it, did you read? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, there are some quote unquote gangster Joker comics, and they're not popular and they're not good. Anyway, um, that's not the point. The point being is he's like, no, like we wanted to create this insane character. It does not mean that they're gonna get Joker wrong. It just means they're not going to do, they're not taking comic book inspiration. Exactly. I think it's a good choice to do, to forge your own path. It Make it Joker, but tell a good story first. I don't care if it's based off the comic. Well, so I think the big thing that, and this is why I think, to me, gives it the most weight that it, it, he this is going to be our Joker, is... Why would you tell this uh, the lone origin story of your main villain of your hero before you tell the hero's story to show that he's not redeemable? He, the, the, there's nothing Batman can do. And so that we see him trying to be give Joker a chance and trying to get give Joker an opportunity to redeem himself. But we know because we've seen you know whatever movie is coming out, he does. That's not what Joker wants. That's not what he's capable of. Exactly. Um, so for our last bit of news, for a while there, anybody that knows me knows that the one Spider-Man villain that I wanted for the longest time was Mysterio. Well, we finally got him in Far From Home, and he is the perfect Mysterio. We'll never get a better Mysterio. He was so great. Um, next on my priority list, I was like, all right, We've gotten Mysterio out of the way. The one character I never thought we'd get. Now, if I could be a little picky, would it be too much to ask for Craven the Hunter next? Well, nope. if director John Watts has his way, that may be what we get in the next Spider-Man movie. So he was recently interviewed um, during a press tour for Far From Home, and someone asked him um, if it was completely up to you, which I'd assume it is because he's the director, um, if it was up to you, who would be the villain in the next Spider-Man movie? To which he said, if it was completely up to me, Craven the Hunter. Um, once again, this proves to me that for some reason, Sony doesn't like repeat villains, unless it's Harry Osborn. Um, but, yes, please, I've wanted Craven the Hunter for so long. Well, and what's interesting is I think, of all the Spider-Mans, I feel like Hollins would benefit the most from a Craven the Hunter. Oh, yeah. Because the rest of them, it would make it more like a a bounty hunter is going after an adult. I'd be more worried about it for this one because, again, Tom Holland 
is a kid being chased by a potential bounty hunter. Exactly. And I mean, yes, he is a bounty hunter and he's hunting because he sees a prey that is going to challenge him. But like, again, I I think for us as an audience, seeing him not knowing he's going after a kid, that that would be terrifying. And well, without dipping in too much into Far From Home spoilers, let's just say the movie ends with Spider-Man having a huge target on his back. Which yeah. would be perfect for a Craven the Hunter. Now, this isn't the normal comic book um, storyline for Craven. Normally, he's obsessed with the hunt. How I would do it if he's the Spider-Man villain is, with this big old target on Spider-Man's back now, um, Craven is hired by somebody, and he's a bounty hunter, and uses his animal tracking skills to find Spider-Man and try and kill him, a la... Craven's last hunt. And then at the end, yeah. we find out that Craven was actually just a hired gun by somebody, maybe like a Norman Osborn, or it's out of the realm of possibility, but a Wilson Fisk. Here's the thing I don't think anything's out of the realm of possibility now. Yeah, honestly, after I've, I've told you off mic, let's not say it here, but I told you what the mid credit scene for Far From Home is, so nothing's off limits anymore. Exactly. I and, I mean, we got Mysterio as a main villain. Are you kidding me? Nothing. Everything is on accurate the, Mysterio every, too. Yes, I, with, everything is on the table. So again, Craven Hunter. Yes, please. And I don't care how cheesy it is. Go full fledged with this costume with like the open vest and everything. Oh yeah. Preferably played how, okay, by Gerard Butler. Yeah, that's going to be my next question on who, who you would you would cast. Although Gerard Butler I saw is... a really good um, fan cast of just the mustached Craven, not like bearded, uh, just mustached Craven, played by Henry Cavill. <laughs> and I was like, um, I laughed at it at first, and then I saw it, and I was like, that's actually not bad. <laughs> There's a lot of really fun casting they could do. I could see them do a bit... <laughs> And you're going to laugh at me because you know my bias, but I could see a really bearded uh, Jason Statham being do, doing something like that. Now, I but... would much rather have Jason Statham as the rhino. <laughs> or or Scorpion, one of the two. <laughs> no, we already have our Scorpion. Remember Far From, uh, and Homecoming, the end credits? <laughs> Gerard like Butler is still my top Zaz- choice to be Craven the Hunter. I just... I agree. I, I I feel like he's a little on the old side now, um, but eh, that's not really my decision. Yeah. Ooh, actually, a movie that will probably come out before um, the next Spider-Man that you could actually introduce Craven the Hunter maybe in an end credit scene, or he, better yet, change the lore up. He's from here. He could be from Wakanda. And introduce him in Black Panther 2. Ooh. Like you kind of did with Claw in Age of Ultron. Maybe he's a big game hunter in Wakanda. Ooh. Actually, that wouldn't be a bad idea. Change it up like you did with Vulture. Change up his origin just a little bit, but it grounds it more in the world that we already know. Yeah. And again, I've never been opposed to changing races. You can have, I would think, you can change up the race of Craven here. Okay, that's fine. All right, so you say you have a black, a black craven, 
Yeah. Who do you have? Who do, who do you cast? Uh, I know he's going to be busy as Black Manta, but the guy that played Black Manta could be cool. Uh, yeah. Old. Uh, old, and I, I think, as weird as this is going to sound, just based on the trailers, uh, I feel like Craven would be very similar to his Hobbs and Shaw um, character. Maybe. Uh, uh, like, similar. Not exactly alike, but similar. Um, I'm trying to think. <laughs> Terry Crews would be funny. <laughs> no, I, I could see him for other stuff instead. But Gerard Butler is still my top pick. But I'm, I'm kind of hype, getting on my own fan theory that he could be from Wakanda now. I'd be okay with that. I would be. I would be as well. I, I don't. I feel like that. That almost feels more natural than anything else. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll about do it for movie news topics. So for our main discussion today, uh, movies are always made up of characters, and the better your main characters are, the better your film is. Typically, not always the case, but um, usually. So, we have our list of our favorite characters. Heroes, villains, supporting characters, main characters. I just love a good character. If you have good enough characters, it makes it so much easier to be invested in the story. So, Josh, kick us off. Who is some of your favorite movie characters and why? I'm gonna... (laughs) I'm gonna start kind of... With a more fun one. Um, and that's Rod from Hot Rod. Really? <laughs> Played by Handy Sandberg. I mean, it definitely helps that um, my brother, that's my brother's and I's favorite movie, and we quote it all the time. But I think having a character, especially in as simple of a movie as Hot Rod is, um, be so blindly enthusiastic be it sometimes misdirected in his goal is is incredibly hilarious especially when you have andy sandberg in the mix and his brand of comedy i have one actually one maybe two out and out comedy characters one of them uh brick tamlin from anchorman yes oh i love brick brick is one of the few Comedy characters that will always make me laugh. Like, no matter what. I genuinely don't know how Steve Krell can keep such a straight face for his character. <laughs> he is so good in that role. And the other really um, comedy, I put them together because they kind of play off each other so much that it's almost like one character. And granted, it's only one movie, and maybe we'll get another one of these, but... I was so in love with these characters when I watched this movie that it was just, they immediately jumped to my list of, here are some of my favorite movie characters of all time, and that's Tucker and Dale from Tucker yeah. and Dale versus Evil. It, it, they, they're a lot of fun to watch, and I, I think it, it's one of the things that makes Tucker and Dale such a great movie and such an under, underrated film. So underrated. It, it really is in that it does, it is a horror film. It is a scary movie, but it tells it from the opposite perspective of two innocent hillbillies who are being blamed for certain things, for for murder and stuff. That they they're like, yeah, no, like we have no nothing to do with it. And it's it's quite funny to be honest. 
And they're so good-hearted about literally everything. Like you, Oh, yeah. They feel like, a lot of times in movies, people feel larger than life. Because that's, they're supposed to be the great heroes or whatever. Like, larger-than-life yeah. figures to have fun vicariously living through. Tucker and Dale feel like regular people. Feel like your neighbors type of thing. They really do. And I think... I think that's, that's that's a tribute to the actors that that play them. Yeah, I would love another one, or better yet, a Netflix series. And it's literally it would literally it's not it doesn't even have to be like oh no it's happening again like it could legit just be their normal lives like I don't even care I'd watch I watch I would watch them. Ooh, I know the movie didn't do too well at the box office, but combine the dead don't die. With Tucker and Dale. Yeah. I would love Tucker and Dale in a zombie apocalypse. That would be... Honestly, I feel like that's the next step. (laughs) I would so be down for that. And, like, Tucker and Dale accidentally adopt a zombie and don't even realize it and, like, Uh, teach it to behave. That would be great, honestly. I'd be down for that. I just want more of them because they were such likable characters. Uh, oh, who else you got, Josh? Um, there's a lot. See, like I think you and I would be amiss to not mention John McClane. Uh, I always put John McClane on this. Heather, when I was making my list, she's like, "You gonna put John McClane?" I'm like, eh, "I don't know," but I'm glad you have I, it on I your list. Him. I and see the one reason I I don't want to put him on the list is because I only enjoy him. I only really enjoy him in the first one. I oh, think he's yeah. good. He's good in the second, but he—I don't know. There's something off. I'll swing uh, for the fence with this next one, as okay. this character is one of, if not my all-time favorite movie character of just everything he stands for. He's in one of the best movie series of all time. He's just a phenomenal character. So well performed, and the fact that it was almost not this actor, but it was somebody else. I'm so thankful we did get him. Aragorn, son of Arathorn. Oh, bro. Aragorn is who every man should strive to be in terms of this is how a man should be of strong yet caring for the little guy, of respectful yet powerful. He is a king. He is... he. Oh, he's... I could talk about Aragorn all day, man. Well, not just that, but... Not just Aragorn, but the... the uh, Viggo... Is it Mortensen, right? Yeah, Viggo Mortensen. Viggo is... He, he, like, during that time, like... He was... He really, to this day, is still a nobody when it comes to, to actors. But that role alone, just even if he doesn't really play anything bigger than that, I, I I will forever remember him as that, and all of the the great personality he had behind the camera as well. His story arc of more or less going from an aimless wanderer ranger to king over almost all Middle Earth and everything in between, of he's just such a fascinating and well rounded character with a incredible portrayal of just this like he knows he's the strongest guy in the room but But he he, doesn't need to brag about it type of thing 
Well, and he's so humble, too. Like, that was also the thing. Yeah, like, he's the guy that it makes the most sense for him to be king, and everyone wants him to be king, except for him, because he fears letting people down. I agree. And, like, he, everyone wants the ring, except for him. Like, right from the get-go of that great scene in Fellowship of the Ring, when Frodo's like, here, take it from me, and it's literally right in front of his face, and he closes Frodo's hand, and he's like, that's not mine. Yep. Um, oh, I, I would love about the whole cast. In all honesty, I almost put Gimli on this list too. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think I'm going to stay kind of in the same vein of ba- a lot of really based on the story arc the character goes through, and that's to me is Jason Bourne. Really, he's still, he's still the same person at the end of uh, every film as far as physical attributes and the knowledge that he has, but his personality definitely changes throughout the films. And he's always, I think I can always admire when somebody is faced with not only just forgetting everything and trying to rebuild, rebuild themselves, but also being faced with the fact that they, they have done some terrible things and then been like, but I want to do, I want to be good. Like, I don't want that life anymore. Are you speaking from experience here? Like, is that a character trait that really resonates with you? I mean, in general, yeah. That, that definitely, like, because that was a large part of my life is I I was, for a long time, I was not a good person. And then I kind of decided, like, no, that's not that's not what I want to be anymore. And that's what Jason does is I kind of feel the same way. I'll let you finish, but yeah, like he, like he, especially to me, it's, it's very early on in the series, but it, to me, it speaks volumes of when he's, he still doesn't know who he is, but it's in that first scene in the diner with Marie. And he's like, you know, the first thing I do, like, I can tell you the license plate numbers of all five cars outside. First thing I do when I come in here, I'm checking where the exits are. I know that that guy sitting, you know, he's like, goes through that whole spiel. And he's like, why would I need to know any of that information? Like, why is that something I need to know as someone who would just, just needs to exist in this world? You know what I mean? And he just doesn't know what to do with the information and in, that's going on in his head. So I can only imagine what else goes on in there and how, how big of a, of a deal it really is to him to look at that life that he used to lead and be like, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I'm noticing for, you said you could see some similarities to Jason Bourne. I kind of feel the same way with movie characters that I either like really like or kind of identify or kind of like I can absolutely see myself in that situation of two characters in particular, both on my list that are the more I see them, they don't seem on paper like they should be very similar. But the more I think about it, they're absolutely more or less the same character. And that is Woody from Toy Story and Captain America, MCU Captain America. So... Uh, Toy Story, I've said numerous times, I'm not going to beat that dead horse, how much Toy Story means to me. Woody's always been a big part of my life. Um, he's kind of a jerk in the first one, but he's got great character development throughout the series. And without dipping into spoilers, his arc in Toy Story 4 is almost identical to Captain America's in Endgame. Of Both of these characters are wholly good. They're just good 
people. They do the right thing. More so Captain America than Woody. But they do the right thing even when everyone else tells you no. That's why Endgame, as great as it was when, uh, spoiler alert, Captain America lifts Mjolnir. One of my favorite moments in the whole movie, though, is the whole army of Thanos is on the hill and Cap still gets up and there's the best shot in the whole movie where it's just him on a hill, the only dude in the sunlight, standing up against a whole army and he's still going to keep fighting. And I've argued with people before, that is where Cap should have said, I could do this all day, not when he's fighting himself. Oh, I agree. Um, But the reason why MCU Cap really resonates with me is I've kind of gone on this journey with Captain America. Going into uh, Avengers, he was probably my least favorite of the Avengers. I didn't really care for his first um, his first movie. Then I love Winter Soldier. It's still one of, if not my favorite movie. Depends on the day, if it's that or Endgame. Um, but I go back and watch Cap, the first Cap, and I really like it. Just because he's a good dude. But his arc through all the movies, but it uh, encapsulates with Endgame, is he's just a good dude that's only ever been focused on the right thing and making sure everyone else is okay. Like he has sacrificed everything for the safety and comfort of everyone else to the point that he has nothing else. He has more or less given up everything else. So that's why, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. I bawled my eyes out at the end of Endgame because I like Woody and like Captain America, I'm relating more to characters that finally get rewarded for things that they were long overdue for, for good things. Yeah. Of Captain America, I hate Iron Man for a lot of years. Iron Man did not deserve the happiness he got in Endgame. He deserved what he got at the end of Endgame for sure. Cap got what he deserved. And it's, without dipping into spoilers, it's the same thing for Toy Story 4. Of these characters that are just wholly good, putting others' needs before them, but in the end get rewarded for that goodness. And I just, yeah, that's, those are character traits that I really resonate with movie characters and especially with Cap as one that I didn't initially like. But as a character, since I'm not going to get a good Superman movie anytime soon, that's a character that I'm really latching onto as I prefer my good guys to be wholly good. Like Captain America is wholly good. Woody is completely good. And Ultimately, I believe if you are a good person, it pays off in the long term. You may not see it in the present moment, but eventually it pays off. So I yeah. that's my long monologue about Captain America and Woody. But in recent years, Captain America has really shot up the ranks in terms of I really get behind this dude. Yeah. And that is <laughs> seeing a character and knowing that they're their potential could take them so far. I think that is also something that you kind of like that gets at least me behind someone is knowing like you kind of catch on to what they, what this character could be capable of down the road. And you want, you want to see them get that at the end of their, at the end of their arc. And for me that, that, and you're going to laugh at me and I know you are. Um, I see. I really love Martin Riggs from the Lethal Weapon series. That's okay. A, that's not where of, I was going, but okay. Uh, that's not where I thought you were going to go. But yeah, you know, you're good. You're good. I thought you were going to uh, go with Hiccup. 
I mean, he's definitely on the list. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's only a matter of time before um, How to Train Your Dragon came into the picture. <laughs> I mean, it should be, it's the running gag at this point. How long does it take until Josh mentions How to Train Your Dragon? Um, every episode. Because um, it deserves it. Dang it. Um, anyway. Um, yeah, Crazy Mel Gibson. But, yeah, I mean, Crazy Mel Gibson before he was like really, really nuts. Um, but his character, Martin Riggs, uh, especially in the first one, you can tell he's at, at his core, he's a good cop. He just goes about things in different ways because nobody else is getting the job done. Um, but he's not a bad guy. Uh, for those people that watch anime, he reminds me a lot of uh, Bakugo and, uh, from uh, My Hero Academia. There's a scene in the, in the show where the bad guys capture this character and who's very easily could be a villain. Uh, and they're like, well, you know, you, you have all these villain traits and you, you're rough around the edges, blah, 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 blah. So we figured you, you'd be super down to join us. And he's like, that's, that's really stupid of you to think that like, I'm not a good person. Like what's wrong with you? Of course, I'm not going to, tr- you know, join your ranks just because, and that's a lot like Riggs is just because he's rough around the edges and, does things a little different from everybody else doesn't mean that he's a bad person. And he, you can kind of tell quickly on, it's just because he doesn't have anyone in his life and he doesn't have a direction. And by the end of the film, of course, he's found like a second family for, for him. Honestly, that segues me into a, another person on my list perfectly of a little rough around the edges and does things a little different than everyone else. Um, another one of the most, completely pure characters. I'd actually think this guy is almost just as pure as Captain America in terms of always, always, always puts everyone else before himself. Rocky. Yes. Rocky is one of, if not the best and most consistent movie characters of all time. He is the same moral guy in the first one as he is in Creed 2 if that is truly his last film. He is just a heart of gold that's down on his luck from time to time, but still puts people first. Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with you at all. He, Rocky is easily one of the great, and you know, I'm going to say this overarchingly, he, Rocky is generally one of the best movie characters of all time. He's just iconic. Like, people have been like, someday we might get a Rocky reboot. No. We can get Creed, which is a spin-off series, but no one could be Rocky except for Sylvester Stallone of kind of this somewhat slow character, but has a heart of gold. Like, he knows he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but that doesn't stop him from still doing everything he can to be a good person. Yeah, absolutely. And just accepting everyone. He's just like, yeah, I'm from the street. What of it? Mm-hmm. So we've done a lot of really good heartfelt characters. Yeah. Do you have any villains on your list or um, more interesting characters that are just guilty pleasure picks? Um, I honestly, Warmonger, I got, I loved Warmonger way more than I thought I would. In which? Uh, no, um, sorry. Uh, Black Panther. Uh, Killmonger. I think you're Killmonger, blending Killmonger and Ironmonger. Which, what about yeah. all the mongers in Monger. MCU? 
Munger, Munger, Munger. But no, yeah, Killmonger from Black Panther. Um, I got, I was really fascinated, and I, I think he did an incredible job at, uh, as Killmonger. And I thought that was a very interesting character as well. Um, He's easily one I of the most interesting villains. While we complain about MCU villains for a while, they're starting to really get their groove. Of Thanos was great, Killmonger was great, Vulture was great, Mysterio has been great. Um, what about Patrick Bateman? American Psycho? Yeah. I will see your Patrick Bateman, and I will raise you a Hannibal Lecter. Ooh, that's a... I love me some Hannibal Lecter, as twisted as that sounds. Well, and it's what's really funny is, uh, I, I, I meet people every now and then who have not seen Silence of the Lambs, but... <laughs> Yeah, but our but do you know you know Anthony Hopkins, and I was like, dude, like this He's barely is in movie. it, but he leaves yeah, such a strong impact. Oh, uh, I believe from remember right, he got like something close to like five awards. He got like best that. supporting actor, and he's only in it for like fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah, he got like. Some kind, like a pretty decent amount, like an unusual amount of awards for like 15 minutes worth of screen time. Well, that's because he's just the best thing about that movie. Well, and not just that, but he like, he, his, he, every scene he is in, he like, he steals. Whether he's like sleeping on the couch or, or what have you, he's, he steals. And I think that's the same thing about Patrick Bateman, though, is that in, in American Psycho is you generally don't know where this character is going to go. But like he's in, but it's in a, an intriguing way. And you kind of you don't see Christ, uh, Christian Bale. You see Patrick Bateman. Oh, you see Christian Bale nowadays. Well, yeah, but because he's a little nuts. He is. But I mean, fame will do that to a person. Fair. Um, both Silence, uh, Silence of the Lambs, uh, Hannibal Lecter and Patrick Bateman come from the world of horror thrillers. I have not one, but two characters. One of them, I'm sure Josh can figure out. The other one may be a little surprising. Uh, obviously, my favorite character ever in the world of horror, Laurie Strode from the Halloween franchise. Of course, of course. Because she's one of the few horror movie heroines that actually has character development and intelligence off the bat of yeah. once Michael starts hunting her in the first one, first priority, take care of the kids. She's just like, all right, I want you to go across the street, get the neighbors, go get the police. She like immediately goes into maternal mode and then actually right off the bat is smart. She stabs the knitting needle in his neck. She hides in the closet um, she once Michael starts attacking in the closet, she gets the coat hanger ready to defend herself. She's smart from the get go, and then she's smart in the second one. But she also has growth as a character. She's this timid, awkward girl in the first one to becoming a full fledged warrior come H two O. I agree. And I was tempted to curious. put Michael Myers on this list, but I didn't because as a character, he's he's just. There, there's no real character to Michael, and that's why he's great. Don't get me wrong. Well, and that's what makes him so scary is we don't actually know a lot about him as a character. Exactly. 
Bones. And my other horror character that I absolutely love is another horror movie heroine that is not an idiot, Sydney Prescott from Scream. Oh, good choice. I finally got around to watching Scream last Halloween season, and I love all of them. Some are better than others, but as a character, uh, Naomi... Is it Naomi? I forget the actress that plays her. I'm sorry. Nev Campbell, that's it. Nev Campbell as Sydney Prescott. She's one of the few characters that actually seems like a human, responds to things like a human, sensible, but is consistent. And is one of the few characters I'm just like, please, I don't actually want you to die. Yeah. I agree. Do you have any other horror characters before we go into our home stretch? Um, I mean, I always have a tendency to think more of the actors than the characters themselves. Oh, um, did you see the Netflix movie Hush? Yes. The, the main girl uh, in that. The, yeah, she's fantastic. Kate um, Siegel. I forget what the character's name is, but the actress is Kate Siegel, who's actually married to Mike Flanagan. She was great in that movie. That I love that character so much. Um. Oh, uh, I know we talk about this movie all the time, but and I can't remember his character's name, but Cusack's character in, in 1408? Uh, 1408. Uh, Mike something. Mike something or other, yeah. <laughs> but his character goes through so much, not just in the movie, but his story arc. He's he literally not goes same. through Dante's Inferno. L- quite literally, yes. But he, like, his character is... I think the main theme here is if your character doesn't change, Mike Enslin. What is it, Mike Van Flynn? Mike Enslin. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But his his character goes through through so much, and we learn so much about him. And at no point does it feel like I'm just watching Cusack play someone. It feels like that that's who Cusack is. Exactly. And just a fun fact: you know how much a night in fourteen Ways cost? How much? Two dollars. I hate you so much. Now, I have one <laughs> guilty pleasure pick that you're just going to roll your eyes with, of course. You'll be like, of course, how have we not talked about him? And then two of my, like, actual, actual, I'm saving these for last because they're my favorites. Um, do you got any more? Maybe it's, like, some guilty pleasures of just, like, yep, these are dumb characters, but I love them. Um, it, we're, We have to stay in movies, right? Yes. We um, can do TV another time. Oh, Lewis from Ant-Man. Ooh, good pick. Uh, I, he, I have an MCU one. Oh, yeah? If you haven't guessed it already, Korg. Oh, of course. Of course. Korg <laughs> is, like, the best MCU character by far. I cheered when Cap lifted Mjolnir. My excitement more or less kind of equaled that when I saw Korg in New <laughs> Asgard. <laughs> just knowing New he was Asgard, alive right? just made my heart happy. I love Korg so much. <laughs> okay, okay. Korg show on um, Disney Plus, dang it. <laughs> Fair enough. Got any others before I take it home with the, my actual two favorite movie characters of all time? Um, I, I mentioned him before. <laughs> I was trying to save him for later, but I think I need to talk about Hiccup. <laughs> Who? <laughs> or maybe I or maybe I don't need to talk about Hiccup at all. 
because he's I talk about him all the time. You do talk about Hiccup all the time. It's not my fault. He's a fantastic character. Uh, and he goes through so much and he learns anyway. All right. Well, I guess it goes without saying. Would you say Hiccup is your all time favorite character? I, I I would say yes, because uh, I mean, yes, his character grows through a lot and he go he learns so much. But at the same time, he's not. And I think this is why the st- series the of How to Tame Your Dragon is so strong. Hiccup at no point ever comes across as the character that should be the leader. But he totally is the leader. And he's one of the actually has growth throughout the trilogy. You see him grow up. Oh, absolutely. Like both physically and emotionally as well. And I, I especially appreciate the growth that his father goes through as well in the, in this series. Isn't that also Gerard Butler? I mean, yeah, it's, it's since we it's, talked about him earlier with Craven the Hunter. Yep. That's stoic. Uh, my favorite line in the, in the second one is why do you have to be so stoic stoic? <laughs> That just sounds okay. like you type of humor right there. Oh, that's so great. And it's so upsetting to me because I laugh every time that they say that line. But the only time they say it is in the second one is when, spoiler alert, um, Hiccup's mom is trying to re is like they he they meet again, like his mom and dad meet again for after you know 20 years or whatever. And she's like trying to get a read on him and he won't, he's not reacting at all. So it's like a really like heart, heart, heart moment. And I'm sitting over here laughing my butt off. Cause she's like, cause she's saying, don't be so stoic. So, and I think that's absolutely hilarious. That's, that's definitely you. <laughs> so my last two characters, my all time favorite movie characters this really won't be any surprise to anybody that knows me well or has been listening to the podcast long enough. Um, Josh, to give you some quick hints to see if you can figure them out. Both of these Giant. characters hail from the year 1999 and were very formulative in my younger years. Well, one of them's got to be Iron Giant. One of them is Iron Giant. I debated if I want to put Iron Giant and Hogarth, but it's mainly Iron Giant. Um, oh, yeah. I've talked ad nauseum about my love of Iron Giant, and I still think it's one of the best animated movies ever made, and I will stand by that claim. It is well, the best I... Superman movie ever made, hands down. <laughs> it really is. I made a video about it months ago, but it really is um, just a phenomenal movie, and the character of Iron Giant, um, just with even with the limited animation that they had, not limited, but not nearly to the standard of today, the emotion that they're able to get out of this humongous robot and the journey that he goes on of discovering what he is, but deciding who he wants to be and the big difference between those two things and just the really serious lessons that he learns of um, death, choice, family, being who you want to be, not who you're supposed to be. It's really strong subject matter for a kid's movie, but so incredibly well done. And I'll still say to this day that it's Vin Diesel's best performance, bar none. (laughs) It is so good. And I want a Steven Spielberg remake of Iron Giant. That might be one of those things. uh... I trust Spielberg and Spielberg alone. 
Fair enough. Maybe the person that did Bumblebee, even though Bumblebee is just Iron Giant. Yeah, fair enough. I so here's, I I think I laugh every time, big every episode because it is a people who listen can totally be like, hey, I wonder how long it's going to take before Josh mentions. Uh, how to how to dragon, and how long it takes me and to and mention long. Iron Giant. Yep. <laughs> now, the other character that is still my all-time favorite uh, movie character comes from 1999, and I'll give Josh one more hint. It has been my man crush since 1999. Mm. He also made appearances in 2002 and 2005. Okay. It's movies only. He's in three different movies, and I've been begging and pleading and praising Disney, please let this glorious man return in an Obi-Wan standalone movie. Oh, yeah. My all-time favorite favorite movie character, Obi-Wan Kenobi, played by Ewan McGregor. I have loved this ever since kindergarten. I remember the day I graduated from kindergarten, I saw Phantom Menace. Watching it now as an adult, Hugh McGregor's Obi-Wan does not have a lot to do in Phantom Menace. He's not a very deep character, but I have deep emotional connection to him. And he's a character that when you go back as an adult and rewatch the prequels, he's one of the few people that's actually trying. He is the best thing about the prequels. Bar none. Better than Liam Neeson's Qui-Gon. Better than Darth Maul. Better than any of the fight scenes. Obi-Wan's character is what the prequels should have been about. He should have been the main character as Luke was for um, the original trilogy with Darth Vader in the background. It should have been Anakin kind of in the background and the main story about Obi-Wan and his fall from grace from the Jedi Order and failing them as he failed to raise Anakin. But Obi-Wan is easily the character that I love more than anybody growing up, and I still, that love of the character has never gone away. And I'm still, Ewan McGregor is still my favorite actor because of Obi-Wan. I still, I have seen bad Ewan McGregor movies just because I support him that much as Obi-Wan. I saw Jack and the Giant Slayer, which actually wasn't that bad because he was in it. I loved Obi-Wan, and someday it will happen. He will return as Obi-Wan, whether that's an Obi-Wan movie on Disney+, Plus, an actual movie, or more than likely a Disney Plus TV series. Someday he will return, and my cheers of victory will be heard across the nation. <laughs> Fair enough. But yes, that's one character that I maybe people wouldn't have guessed. If you know me well, you would have known that. But I don't feel like I talk about Obi-Wan as much on this podcast as I do Iron Giant. <laughs> yeah. But that's okay. I mean, I, I think Obi-Wan is one of those characters that definitely deserves more. Yes. And even the biggest prequel haters will still go, well, at least he was good. <laughs> yeah. Your McGregor's Obi-Wan is like Henry Cavill's Superman. There's no one that really bad mouths it. People just kind of wish they were in better things. Yeah. Also, I will fight anybody, but Ewan McGregor's lightsaber in Phantom Menace is still the coolest lightsaber. <laughs> That's still my favorite one. That and Luke's from Return of the Jedi. We can uh, agree to disagree. Really, what are you bringing to the table lightsaber-wise? And then we'll bring it home. Um, Luke's from Return of the Jedi. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good. <laughs> if it's not Obi-Wan's in 
a new, uh, if it's not Obi-Wan's, which it's different in Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, is one from Attack of the Clones and Phantom Menace. If it's not that, it's Luke's in Return of the Jedi. Just that green, great handle. Mm-hmm. That's a great lightsaber. It is. Nice and simple. Yeah. Well, I think that'll about do it. Those are our all-time favorite movie characters. Let us know what yours are. We always love hearing from you guys. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether that's iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. And as always, if you haven't subscribed to us on the main YouTube channel, subscribe to us at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.